Chapter Thirteen of The Adventures of Tommy Blake by Brother Ernest Ryan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Great Discovery. Whatever it was that Charlie had told the chief of police, it did not keep him from letting Tommy enter the mysterious room. It seemed but a minute after he had bidden the boy to wait outside that he reappeared in the doorway. Come in, Tommy. There's nothing in here that will hurt you. Tom entered rather cautiously and surveyed the room. There on the bed lay a sick man. His condition was pitiable in the extreme. His breathing was short and labored. His eyes were partly closed, and save for the two reddish spots on his cheekbones, his face was the color of the pillow. It was very evident that he was suffering, not only from his diseased lungs, but from lack of care. "'Are you well cared for here?' asked the chief, thinking it the best way to open conversation though he could see the answer to the question even as he asked it. The reply was a negative shake of the head. Do you have a doctor coming here? Again the sick man shook his head. Do you know the man who has locked you up here? This time the patient made an affirmative motion. What is your name, sir? At that question the man motioned feebly toward a little table beside his bed, on which was a pile of papers. The policeman picked up the top piece and read out loud. To whom it may concern, I, Thomas Blake, Sr., being of sound mind. What name did you say, Chief? questioned Tommy with a stunned look. Thomas Blake, Sr. That's my father's name, Chief. Is this my father? Dad didn't look like that. Chief, do you really think this is my father? Now the eyes of the sick man grew large. He made a great effort to rise, only to be forced back again in a fit of violent coughing. Do lie still, sir. You are overtaxing your strength. Sergeant, call a doctor at once. Tommy came closer to look at the form on the bed. It was true. Through the beard and matted hair, he made out the features of his father. He fell on his knees, put his arm around his father's head, and choking with tears, got out one word. Dad. The sick man dragged his arm up around Tommy's body, and with the little strength he possessed, he pressed it to him. Tommy. The chief drew away. There was a mist in his eyes. He took off his hat, walked over to a window, and pulled up the shade. After he had himself under control again, he came back to the bed. Tommy, he said, you had better not tire your father too much. Come, get up now. We must try to make him comfortable. Tommy did as he was told. He stood up, his face burning in his own tears. Time and circumstances had not crushed in him the natural love of a boy for his father. The chief began to straighten up the bedclothes and the pillows in an effort to add a little to the patient's comfort. Suddenly he heard a whisper. Call a lawyer for me. I must make a will. Then Blake's eyes closed. He seemed exhausted. There was no time to be lost. The chief hurried to the phone and put through the call as requested. We must keep this will, Tommy. It will be needed when Charlie comes up for his medicine. We'll get everything ready here so the lawyer can begin his work as soon as he arrives. Here comes an auto, whispered Tommy. I'll go out and see who it is. No one must enter except the doctor and the lawyer. In a short time, the chief came back into the room with the doctor. It was not the one who had cared for Tommy when he was sick. See what you can make of this case, doctor, said the chief as he brought the physician up to the bed. The doctor looked at the sick man for a moment, and his face became very grave. 
As he observed the expression, Tommy's heart sank. The doctor went over the sick man's chest carefully with his stethoscope, asked a few brief quiet questions, and then beckoned for the chief to come with him into the adjoining room, out of the hearing of father and son. There is very little that can be done, chief. This man has had a bad case of pneumonia some time ago, and I imagine he wasn't careful enough afterward. He now has what is commonly called galloping consumption. I wouldn't give him more than a very short time to live. His heart action is extremely poor. If there is a will to be made, he had better have it attended to instantly. He's liable to die any time now. Do you know him, or how did you come to be here? I was sent for a doctor. The boy in there is a sick man's son. It's only by the purest accident that I am here. But just a minute, doctor. I hear another auto. Wait for me, please. With that, the chief stepped to the door, a moment before the lawyer would have rung the bell. Come in, Mr. Ward. Dr. Ridgway, I want you to meet Mr. Ward, a friend of mine. He has come to help Mr. Blake make his will. I'll be glad to have you as a witness in this case, doctor, if you are not too busy. I shall be glad to help you. The chief then took the two professional men into the sick room. Mr. Blake, here is Mr. Ward, the lawyer. Blake's eyes opened wide now. Take down my story, Mr. Ward. You three men and Tommy will be my witnesses. I am Thomas Blake, Sr., of 3965 Milton Boulevard, New York. I married Miss Louise Bowman. This boy here is our son, Thomas. I was born and am an atheist. My wife Louise is a Catholic. To satisfy her, Tommy was baptized and raised a Catholic. We often quarreled over this. Finally, she left me and took the boy with her. My detectives located her and got the boy for me without her knowledge. I put Tommy in the Washington Irving Academy to be educated. Late last January, I contracted pneumonia. When I got well enough to travel, Charles Bates, who is my secretary, brought me here. At first I seemed to improve, but only for a few days. When I got worse and had to go to bed, he soon neglected me, though he lived here in the house. A couple of days ago he brought me that will to sign. I could not read it all, but I know he is trying to get my money. That part of the story being told, Blake dropped back into the pillow as if dead. The doctor quickly took his pulse. He's very weak. We must let him rest for a while, he whispered to Mr. Ward. That story seems simple to us, but took great effort for him to tell. He will rally again soon. He's living on his willpower now. The men remained quiet for a time, waiting for the patient to begin again. After a few minutes, Mr. Blake's eyes unclosed. We must continue. All documents pertaining to my estate are in my vault in blank, bank. No one else knows they are there. It is my will that one-third of all my possessions be given to my wife. After all expenses are taken care of, Thomas, my son, is to be given all that remains. I hereby make my wife the legal guardian of my son and the administratrix of my estate. I only ask that she be not sent for until I am gone. Write the will quickly. I can't last long. Now, don't think that way, sir. Keep up your courage for the sake of the boy. He's a 
wonderful boy. He is that, sir. Too bad things didn't turn out better for us. Since the will was brief, it did not take Mr. Ward long to complete it. While he was working, the patient suddenly began to moan as if in pain. Is Dad dying? Tommy asked the doctor through his tears. No, my boy, replied the man compassionately. Your father is very weak, but he is not dying. Do not bother him now. He is resting. In a few minutes, Mr. Ward had the will ready for the signature, and the doctor informed Mr. Blake of the fact. The sick man took the document and read it slowly and carefully. He then nodded his head, indicating that he was ready to sign it. The others, the doctor, the policeman, the lawyer, and Tommy, stood watching him, silently noting how much it cost him to move, yet unable to help. He rested a while and then spoke. I want you to know, gentlemen, he said in tones firmer than they had yet heard from him, that I am in full control of my faculties, and that this is my true last will and testament, to which I put my name. The lawyer handed him a pen. Blake took it in his white fingers and slowly signed his name. Then his hand dropped, and the pen fell to the floor, while his closed eyes showed him to be oblivious to the scene around him. Is Dad worse? whispered Tommy. Your father is resting, replied the doctor. Oh, Dad, can't you talk to me? burst from the boy's lips. A shadow of a smile crossed the father's face as he whispered. Yes, Tommy, I can. I don't think it would be well for you to tire your dad, said the doctor, drawing Tommy gently away from the bed. He needs to lie absolutely quiet for a few minutes. Later on, you can talk to him. Chief, I'd call a nurse to take care of him if I were you. Yes, we must get a nurse, put in Tommy eagerly, and we must get Mother to come here. Now, Tommy, remember what your father said. Well, call a nurse anyway, right away. Do you know a very good one? Yes, I can get a specialist for him if you want me to. Get the best you can and tell her to come quick. Sergeant, you and Frank may take Charlie there to the police station and lock him up. I think we have more than enough on him. Chief, put in Tommy, I want you and the doctor to stay here with me. I'll stay just as long as you want me to, Tommy, replied the doctor. But Tommy suddenly had a new idea. Don't you think we could get an ambulance and take Dad to a hospital? No, Tommy. I think it is best to leave him here for the present. The two officers took Charlie with them, and Tommy, leaving the chief and the doctor with his father, went upstairs to his room for a few moments to figure out what to do. He was not going to let his father die without making a serious effort to convert him. End of chapter 13